0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Oh yeah, there it is. I hit a button. We get to get all excited and all tingly and all excited again. Well, I can't wait to introduce you to the guest today. He is just, uh, this. what's what's to say? I mean, I have a whole thing of things to say, but I don't even know how to get through this. I'm going to try my best. He's brilliant. He's intelligent, uh, so friendly. He's a thought leader, though, and a speaker. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell did we land this guy? Why, why is he talking to me? Why is he going to be on this show? And he's funny as hell. I can't tell you, a premier thought leader in the forefront of global competitive strategy. He's been in the pharmaceutical, the healthcare industries, named the industries, he's been there, but talking through the idea of competition and and also um, and how to really win and branding and marketing and all these power things combined, creator of the Transcender System, author of Brands Don't Win, I have the book right here for all you on video, Uh, president at Bernard Associates, Dr. Stan Bernard, welcome to the show, sir.
1: Thanks, Casey. Uh, You're clearly giving me a winning introduction. So we're off to a great start.
0: Now, is it off to a great start? Are we all downhill from here?
1: No, no. Actually, (laughs) we're going to just roll. We're going to roll. Yeah. Talk about how to win, how to win for businesses. That's what we're here to do today.
0: After we first chatted, I was like, I can't wait to get to this. You know, I can't wait to get to this conversation. So let me go ahead and pass you this. It's heavy, but I know you work out. So one second. Here you go.
1: Okay. Hey, hey. Thor,
0: Thor's hammer. You got it here. Grab oh, it. Got it. Got
1: it. Got it. Got yeah. it? Thank, you. Oh. Thank you.
0: You got that with a couple fingers. That's the first time. Oh, you're yeah. strong, man. Yeah. Strong. yeah. Hey, Take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. Awesome. It's very simple.
1: Branding is not the only way to win in business.
0: Whoa. It's not, isn't branding like the heart and soul of all things marketing?
1: Yeah, actually, that is the assumption that virtually every company and every business professional believes that they actually just assume that the only way to compete in business is with branding. Right. If you look, virtually every company, no matter whether they're selling a product, service, technology, no matter what marketplace, no matter what industry, virtually every company says, we're going to create a brand, and we're going to differentiate a brand, usually with lots of promotions, advertising, sales reps, et cetera. And they assume that that's the only way to compete. And I'm going to bust that myth. Smash okay? it. Smash it. Totally Took horse hammer and
0: just obliterate the hell out of that thing.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly what I do when brands don't win. I smash it. So in fact, branding actually has been around for 3,000 years. 3,000 years. Whoa,
0: 3,000? 3,
1: 3,000 years old. So the Greeks, Greek basically artisans in the Athens marketplace 3,000 years ago were basically engraving their pottery with their brand name effectively, and then trying to differentiate their pottery and other artisan tools and and gifts and things like that from their competitors. Okay. So it's 3,000 years old. Okay. I don't know about you, but I'm not using 8-track tapes and I'm not using rotary dial phones and they're only 50 years old. Oh yet, yeah. Yet the majority, virtually every company in the world, uses a three thousand year old way to compete. And branding wasn't even initially designed to, for competition. I mean, it was really designed to distinguish between livestock. Like literally branding cows and other livestock, right? So right. that that idea that people assume that the only way to compete, and they don't even question it. I mean, when I say to people, uh, you know, how can you compete beyond branding? I get the deers in the headlight looks, you know, the deer in the headlight looks like seriously, what do you mean? I mean, of course, that's the only way to compete. Well, I want to tell people on this call right now, tell your listeners that you can break out of the brand jail. You can shake off the brand cuffs. You can stop being brand washed. Okay. There's another way to compete. There's actually a better way to compete. It's called the Transcender System, and this is what I outline in detail, the three-step powerful practical system for winning called the Transcender System that I have developed over the last four decades by analyzing literally hundreds of companies and thousands of products around the world.
0: Wow. Okay, so a couple things here, and I want to get to those three steps. I want to learn the how, but before to that, why, why are we so, why are we locked into Greek mode? Oh, you got the Papoulias pottery. I see. How are you doing with that? You know, like, <laughs> why are we still doing that?
1: You know, it's, it's fascinating to me. I often ask that same question to, to my clients and other potential clients and customers. And I really believe it is a, a brainwashing. If you think about it, it's just been passed down from generation to generation. Everybody just assumes that's the only way to compete. I think, Part of it is it's historical, right? It's been handed down. I think the other part is that there's these, there are companies, obviously, advertising companies, marketing companies, and others that also try to brainwash us, so to speak, by believing the only way to compete is with branding. And then they'll go into all the different types of branding. You know, there's brand logos, and there's brand equity, and there's brand ownership, and there's brand Product value statements and brand you know, brand positioning statements, on and on and on, right? Brand, 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 brand. But it's all branding. No matter what, what, how many times you say the word branding and try to make it more complex, it's very simple. Branding is very much like checkers. It's like everybody's playing brand checkers, okay? The idea being pretty much everybody knows the brand game, right? Agencies know it, companies know it. And as a result, it's very difficult to win. When everybody's playing the same game and a game as simple as checkers right okay so because it's, yeah
0: yeah no lay enemy what, clear yeah. for, clear up for us because i think also part of this is we just we ascribe to branding a lot of things and that's how it becomes right. like the solution to everything is because right. it, digital marketing and advertising it's all branding now but it's like ah it's, it's not what what is branding actually the, like what oh. do you when you boil it down distill it down
1: yeah, I think the, the approach to branding, really what branding is, is saying my brand, my product is differentiated from your product. It's brand differentiation, it's saying my product is differentiated usually on certain features and benefits, and then we use all these different brand promotional tactics, advertising, sales reps, et cetera, to try to push those distinctions, those differentiations. So branding is really about differentiating your product from some other competitor's product Usually based on slightly better features or benefits. Now, again, that's the old model. Okay. And as we said, it's 3,000 years old.
0: And and you put features and benefits into that because that almost seems like just what what companies do to sell is they just think features and benefits. And
1: right. Well, that's all they think. Yeah. Honestly, Honestly, companies only think about competing in one way, which is branding. We're going to have a product that's better than the competitor's product, slightly better. We're going to basically sell you over and over with brand messages, right? In various formats and various media outlets and channels, et cetera, about how our brand has advantages over competitors, okay? Yeah. Brand differentiation. That is the model, okay? And it's a model that's not even designed for winning. It was never designed as a even for competition. So what I did is I have for the last roughly 35 years as a global competition consultant, studied these different types of companies, all different types of industries, all different types of markets, et cetera. And I came up with what I call the transcender system. Now here's where the transcender system is different than what I call the traditionalist system. So when I refer to the traditionalist system, that is the traditional branding model, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's numerous, numerous differences between the two. But perhaps the single biggest difference is that in the transcender system, you do not play the brand game. Companies actually create and play a game only they can win. Okay. Imagine that. Instead of being in the brand prison where you have to play the same as that game everybody else is playing brand checkers, you have the opportunity, if you're a Starbucks, if you're an Amazon, if you're a Peloton, to play whatever game you want you literally get to create the game and the whole premise behind the chain center system is that you play a game only you can win why play a game that your competitor why play your competitor's game why play the same game everybody else is playing play a game only you can win right i mean classic example that the starbucks People assume Starbucks, you know, everybody knows the Starbucks brand, right? So they, assume- I was going to
0: say, I, I was going to try to like push back on you a little bit and say, yeah, but what about Starbucks? I mean, isn't it the brand? Isn't that why they win?
1: You would assume that. Yeah. And unfortunately, like others, you would be wrong. Interesting. To be fair. Yeah. And here's the, here's basically the a little quick history on Starbucks. Starbucks for the first 16 years, they started in, Pike's Peak Market in Seattle with their first store in 1971. The first 16 years, they tried to win with branding. So they had the Starbucks brand name, they had the Nordic Siren logo, they had the Starbucks branded coffee, the Starbucks branded coffee cups, you name it. They had all the branding. Okay. I mean, if you saw their store, it was oh, Starbucks was everywhere, right? For the first 16 years, they were adding one store per year. They weren't winning. Okay. Howard Schultz in 1987 buys Starbucks and says, we're not going to play the branded coffee game. I'm going to change the game. And he came up with a three word, what I call campaign agenda or game. He said, we are going to become the third place, three words, the third place between home and work in America. That's why you have a Starbucks on one side of the highway on the way to work, directly on the other side of the highway on the way home from work. It's why you see Starbucks at major transportation hubs, corporate centers, malls, et cetera. It's also why Starbucks has a bigger footprint. Their stores are much bigger. They do not want you to just grab a cup of coffee like Dunkin' Donuts. They want you to grab a chair. and It's a comfortable chair. It may even be a couch. Oh, by the way, we have big tables. You can spread out. You can do your work here. So on the way to work, you can meet some of your colleagues. And on the way home from work, you can meet some of your friends. We want you to hang out. We've got welcoming baristas, nice music, clean bathrooms. It's all about becoming the third place. Starbucks has basically told us, this is where you go between work and home in America. And that's an important distinction between Transcenders. They do not ask. They tell. They have told us to the point where we're basically we do it. And I often say to people, you know, is Starbucks the best coffee? I'll ask patrons, you know, is Starbucks the best coffee? And Evely, I've never heard anybody say, oh yeah, it's the best coffee I've ever had. No, <laughs> because it's not about the coffee. Basically, Schultz said, it's not about the coffee, it's about the coffee shop. They went from adding one store per year to adding 1,350 stores per year. That's almost four stores per day using this Transcender System approach. They are the biggest coffee chain in the world with over 31,000 stores across over 80 countries. They're three times bigger than Dunkin' Donuts. And Dunkin' Donuts actually spends twice as much on advertising as Starbucks in the U.S. Right. And yet Starbucks actually sells
0: three times more coffee. That's interesting. I, I have seen Dunk, Dunkin' Donuts commercials, but I don't know the last time I saw a Starbucks one. you don't know. You just know what it is. You don't need to advertise it. You just see the sign and they're near, they're near you and they're on the path between home and work. Like you're talking about.
1: That's right. And, and they have played, they, they played their own game. It's not an advertising branding promotions game. It's a game where we're going to give you, and this is very different with transcenders. They're not trying to sell you a product like coffee. They're basically trying to inspire you with a, what they call at Starbucks, the third place experience. So it's, This is, you know, branders want to basically sell you products, and it's all about a product transaction. Transcenders want to basically inspire you, and it's all about the experience. So people get the experience. They understand, oh, I go to Starbucks. I can relax. I don't have to race out of here. I can meet friends. They want me to stay here. This is a great place to hang out, you know, and Wi-Fi, et cetera. So that is a huge distinction between the two worlds, as I call them, because the transcender world is really a revolution i mean it is a paradigm shift in how companies compete the idea that you can compete any way you want you don't have to be locked into one single option which is branding
0: how do i do this you mentioned there's three three parts uh i'm i'm intrigued i'm bewildered i hear you on starbucks and i'm inspired now to make my own version well, Starbucks yep. in my own industry. So how, how do I do this? What, is, yeah. what are these steps?
1: So there's three steps to the TransCenter system. Kay. The first and most important is to create the agenda. Now, let me explain what I mean by an agenda. Brand companies lead with their brand, right? Whatever brand or product they have, they lead with the brand. TransCenter companies don't lead with the brand. They lead with a campaign agenda and follow with the brand, just like politicians. So if you look at US presidential elections and put aside politics, I know everybody has strong feelings about politics, but if you look at Obama and his run for 2008 to be the president, he didn't start with vote Obama. He didn't go around telling people vote Obama, vote Obama. He said change, 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 change. That was his- It was like open
0: change, right? It was like two word.
1: So he actually, change was the overarching campaign agenda. He has what's called C messages, campaign messages, so change and hope was one of the C messages, be the change, et cetera, et cetera. So you have messages, campaign messages. You don't have brand messages in, from, in the transcendental world. You have basically these campaign messages. But his overarching campaign was one word, change, 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 change. He led with that. And then if people were inspired by the idea of change in America for the 2008 presidential election, then he was the only change candidate. And that is the positioning. So he he's the brand. So they led with the agenda, the campaign agenda, which was change. And then he is the change candidate. That's the positioning of him, just like products have positioning. So this is very different. Similarly, in 2016, everybody knows Trump's campaign agenda, four words, make America great again. He could have said, vote Trump, vote Trump. He was a brand. Mm-hmm. He was fairly well known, you know, as a TV, you know, um, apprentice, uh, you know, uh, leader, and also as a real estate developer, he could have led with a brand, but he didn't. He led with four words, make America great again. And then if people believed in, and I say believe, not bought in, but if they believed in and were inspired by his agenda, then he was the one positioned to make America great again. That was his campaign platform. So that's what companies do as well. Companies lead with their campaign agenda follow with the brand classic example that is nike everybody knows nike's campaign agenda just do it okay three words just do it and then they say and they follow with nike
0: right how do you know they follow right because i know the swoosh as well just as much as i know just do it
1: yeah so you can see how these again presidential candidates it's obvious with companies nike will say just do it. And then below that Nike, right? Mm. They lead with Nike and then you'll see the swoosh. Then you'll see Nike. So, so you still use brands. I think this is very important. Companies still use branding in the TransCenter system. They just don't lead with it. So basically branding went from being the lead actor, so to speak, in the traditionalist world to more of a supporting role or supporting actor role in the TransCenter world. So we still have brand statements, brand positioning. Right. We still have brand logos. We still have brand images, characters, all that, but you don't lead with the brand. You lead with a campaign agenda designed to inspire people and then follow with the brand. So right. that is the first step is creating the creating an agenda. There's three ways to do that. Basically you can have create competitive creation. So you create the agenda, agenda de novo. So that is what basically Starbucks did. The idea of the third place was something they totally created, it was was an idea they had. You can have competitive recreation. So for instance, Peloton, again, people all know Peloton's brand, but that's not how they win. They win by recreating a world-class home cycling studio. That was their original agenda. They are all about creating this world-class cycling studio experience For the home. And then, if you believe in that, if you believe, oh, that's a great idea, instead of having to go to a cycling studio, you know, get dressed and go at what time they want me to and go only to their instructors and use their bikes, which are inferior to Peloton, et cetera, then if you believe in that, then you're going to basically purchase a Peloton bike, okay, if Mm -hmm. you can afford it, right? So that's how they basically played the game. They recreated that cycling studio. And of course, anybody that talks to a Peloton, user they'll go on and on and we'll get into the fact that they they basically create evangelicals these passionate proselytizers they go way beyond product advocacy. it's not
0: because of the brand because they have got a, a great brand they it's kind of hard isn't it brand. it's like entwined
1: yes it, and it is and so these come again it's i didn't say in the book i didn't say brands don't matter i said brands don't win. These companies that I'll talk about, and there's a number of companies, I have 16 different case studies in the book, and there's literally hundreds I've analyzed over the years and worked with numerous clients to become Transcenders. Again, their brands are often well-known, but that's not how they win. Hmm. Okay, that's the difference. So there's, and then there's a third way, uh, and probably the most common way to create a agenda is what's called competitive categorization. You either create a new category or you own an, a category, a new category. So in the case of Seedlip, Seedlip is a small company, a startup in the UK, started by Ben Branson, an entrepreneur. He basically was trying to find a good mocktail on a Saturday night in London, couldn't find it, started his own company, which Seedlip is the name of the company. He had a background in both advertising and uh, and farming and uh, created his own distillation uh, system and basically created the world's first non-alcoholic spirit. So he created his own category. They now command seventy percent of that. There's over fifty competitors, but they command seventy percent of it. And within five years, he had sold out to Dodge Diageo, okay, which is the world's biggest spirits maker. So that is creating your own category de novo. Others own a new category, Uber. Everybody assumes that Uber basically started the ride-sharing business, or ride-hailing business. Actually, uh, the ride-hailing business goes back to the 1600s when we had carriages and, sure, <laughs> and horses, yeah. but, right? And then we had taxis and then we had limousine and actually ride-sharing is really the third type of ride-sharing, ride-hailing. But the, actually, Sidecar was the first company to have the patent seven years before Uber for basically sharing as we know it, calling a car with an app and then sharing somebody's local car, etc. Oh, but oh. Uber realized, oh, we are going to move from our business which at the time was a black car business called by an app with a, with a driver and they basically said we're going to take over this plate uh, this particular space they moved in owned it they had the most money they had the most drivers and, and we all know that uber not only now is not only everyone's private chauffeur which was their original agenda but now they're setting the world in motion that is their new campaign agenda because now they have freight, they have Uber Eats, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so again, those are the three ways to create the agenda.
0: So, real specific, how did what did Uber do that was different from Sidecar? How, yeah. But, yeah. you know, Side. I didn't even, I don't even know about Sidecar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people outside of Simpson Square wouldn't know about them. Um, the key thing they did is they basically got more investment because they had more investment. From um, venture capitalist. They could then basically pay to have more drivers, more systems, more support. And the game was at that time, whoever had the most drivers would win, right? Because you didn't want to call service and you'd have to wait 15, 20 minutes. Uber could be there in a very short period of time. And of course, Lyft also quickly um, jumped in that space, but Uber ultimately owned the space and they owned it with this Transcender System concept. Okay. Originally everybody's private chauffeur and then moving to setting the world in motion. I mean, now Uber is a huge company in moving all different types of things, everything from packages to people, to food, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So they, so they got more investment. And are, are we saying that they did that because they're transcending? Yes, it was
1: clear. It was clear to the, their funders, their financiers. Oh, these guys, they had the big picture. Now, to be fair, Uber had already been successful, was already starting to be very successful with their black car service, right? So they also had, in some ways, um, the systems in place. They had more, they had a more expansive offering and they had a bigger picture. And this is important. Transcenders think, act, and go big. Okay. They're not going for a small piece. Sidecar was not looking as big, they weren't as expansive. Transcenders are out to own their market, and in potentially other markets. And Uber's a classic example of that. Uber said, you know, it's not enough just to own the ride sharing business. We're gonna to try to get into the, the food delivery business with Uber Eats, which of course, they're a major competitor there. Uh, Freights, logistics, other, all different types of ways to, to move. So, so that is the mindset of a transcender. And that's different than the traditionalist. Traditionalist brand companies typically are saying, you know what, I'm gonna to try to do better than my competitors in my marketplace. Okay, a Transcender says, I'm here to own and dominate my market and even go beyond that. For instance, Peloton. Peloton could have stuck with basically, we're just going to focus on the home exercise equipment market, right? But they right. didn't do that. They didn't do that. if you see what their executives say to the analyst and what they have basically publicly said in the media, they are going after fitness clubs, right? health gyms, cycling Mm -hmm. studios. There's 36,500 of those in the US alone. They have basically said that is our market. So it's not enough for them to own just the home exercise market, right? That's too small. That's too small. Transcenders go big. They go much bigger and they think big, act big, and they play big.
0: And they realize that half the people in the gym are introverts and none of them want to be there.
1: Well, you know, think about it. It's in this, they didn't have just one slight advantage. It wasn't like just their bike was slightly better than some other stationary bikes at home. No, they had dramatically better bikes. They had the offering of being at home. So the convenience is unparalleled, right? They also offered all these different types of instructors, right? So you didn't have to stick with just your local cycling instructor at your local club. Yeah. They, they also basically made it a social experience. I mean, this is really a Peloton experience. And anybody you talk to that, that basically uses the Peloton bike or their other, you know, fitness equipment, they will tell you, it's great, I get to ride and compete against other riders. I have a friend that basically is one of these, again, what I call evangelicals, you know, he is so into it. As soon as I say the word Peloton, he just starts going off, right? And he starts telling me well you know i know what gear this person was in and i gave that person a high five and i wasted this person up the hill and you know and he's got all the metrics and all this and what that means is peloton has so many of these what's called what i call evangelicals a portmanteau, meaning a basically an advocate crossed with an evangelical yeah okay? they have so many that they have told wall street they've told the marketplace We don't need to spend as much on advertising promotions. We've got all these people out there doing it for us, Mm. right? Because it's like an election. Products today are elected, not selected. So you get all these people inspired the same way people got inspired for Obama in 2008 and Trump in 2016. Peloton's got the Pellaverse. They've got all these people Mm -hmm. out there telling everybody else. They're selling their bike, their tread, all their different types of offerings on behalf of Peloton. So Peloton literally has said we can cut back on advertising promotions.
0: Hmm. All right. So you got to create, you got to, you can't just play by the old rules. No. You got to create something new. Uh, and that's, that's right. all, that's all under number one. That's all under the that's agenda. Right. That's right. So um,
1: second is communicating the agenda. Okay. Just like a politician, these companies have to get out and communicate the agenda. Now there's four criteria I listed in the book. They are under the acronym MOA, M-O-W-A. They stand for memorable, ownable, winnable, and alignable. The first and most important thing about an agenda is it has to be memorable. Turns out that humans today can only remember four plus or minus one chunk of information or digit in our short-term memory, Okay, We have lost 43% of our short-term memory over the last 20 years, Okay. that's due predominantly to our reliance, over-reliance on our iPhones and other devices. Right. We don't have to remember phone numbers, names, et cetera. So as a result, if you want something to get into long-term memory where it can be repeated, like we've talked about, like make America great again or change whatever, it has to get into short-term memory. To get into short-term memory, it has to be basically five words or fewer. I recommend actually four words or fewer. But So that's why you see, first of all, U.S. presidential candidates, all the winning presidential candidates of the last 100 years with the exception of two, Have all had a campaign agenda or slogan that's five words or fewer. Same thing with companies. Companies have very short campaign agendas. Okay, four words or fewer typically. Classic example of a memorable, simple um, campaign agenda would be Geico. They have a four word campaign agenda 15 minutes, 15%, 15 minutes, 15%, 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. That is a C message. Okay. Everybody knows that. Why does everybody know it? Because Geico has been telling us that same forward campaign
0: Same ones. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't changed it since 1999.
1: And this is again, totally different than traditional branding companies. Traditional branding companies are constantly changing their message because they're worried about brand fatigue and we have to have something new, you know, every, three months, three years, whatever it is, right? And advertising agencies are constantly trying to change, not Geico. Geico has broken all the rules. They are totally being a transcender. Hmm. Their biggest competitor is State Farm. State Farm for years has basically played the insurance salesman game. Right. It's all about their 19,200 insurance sales professionals around the country. Okay. Well, Geico realized they were in fifth place in the mid nineties. And they said, you know, we, we can't keep playing this state farm game. We're not, we don't have as big a, a network. We can't play that game. We're going to change the game. Not only are we going to change it with our agenda, you know, 15 minutes, 15%, we're also going to change how we basically communicate our agenda. So they started advertising insurance when they started doing that, particularly in 1999 at the time, the belief was among traditional brand and advertising experts that you can't, you can't really advertise insurance. You can't feel it. It's not a product. You can't see it. You can't touch it. Geico said, no, no. We're going to change the game. We're going to actually advertise, and we're going to use it to how we communicate. That's how we're going to communicate our agenda. And not only are we going to advertise something that everybody thinks we can't advertise, we're going to do it differently than anybody's ever done it before. So they have multiple different types of characters. They don't just have the gecko, They have the caveman, so he's a caveman, can do it. They have Max the pig, wee, 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 all the way home, right? They have celebrities on and on and on, right? And they run these commercials at the same time. This is totally against the rules of advertising. Rules of advertising are you stay with one type of commercial and you only have one mascot. Okay. Geico said, No, 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 we're we're playing by our rules. We're gonna play the game we way we want to play it. And as a result, they went from being fifth. To now second among auto insurance companies in America, and they're breathing down State Farm's neck. Okay, again because they played this game. So that's the—they're absolutely a classic case of how to make something memorable, right? Um, in fact, in October of 2020, they had a commercial with the Gecko, and he was explaining how he came up with the idea: fifteen minutes, fifteen percent. Okay, I mean, they—they they make fun. Everybody knows it. Right? They make yeah. fun of us. Right? So, then in addition to that, there's ownable. You want to have an agenda that's ownable. Classic example of that to me is Sweet Green, the salad store. Uh, Sweet Green basically, their campaign agenda connecting people to real food, connecting people to real food. And they literally do that. They mm-hmm. vet and have their own local farmers, right? And they even have technology now that can identify in some stores exactly what farm your particular vegetables came from okay so they can literally connect you to the real to, to real food not only that they also offer an incredible access i mean they have these outposts they literally bring the food to corporate centers and other major centers so they make it very easy so they they absolutely have an agenda that they own they absolutely own it we talked about nike having a winning agenda no right. question about it just do it nike is got 35% more market share than Adidas since they started that campaign in 1987. A lot of people don't know that 1987, when Nike started that, they were losing to Reebok. A lot of people don't realize they were losing big time. In 1987, Reebok had 45% market share in North America of sports apparel and shoes. Nike only had 18%. They were losing big time. They got together in 1987, said we have to change the game. That's when they changed the game to just do it. The idea was that, well, we'll let Reebok focus on the athletes. We're going to focus on everybody. Everybody can do it. You know, whether you're a, a young girl in high school or an 80 year old uh, marathoner or a, a guy that's on the couch that doesn't typically get up, everybody can just move. Everybody can just do it, but do it in Nike clothes and shoes, right? That's the idea. So, right. So they, they absolutely had a winning agenda, we know that. And then the last one is basically the idea, uh, and it's MOA, so it's um, basically, the idea is you have to align, it has to be alignable. Everybody at your company has to align behind it. This is different than branding companies. In branding, you win basically marketing and sales. They're responsible for competition, okay? In the Transcender world, every single employee is aligned behind that agenda. The archetype for that is Amazon. Amazon basically has a two-word agenda. Jeff Bezos has been saying this since his 1997 shareholder letter, it is customer obsession. Customer obsession, customer obsession, customer obsession. Jeff Bezos has said repeatedly, Customer obsession is the single number one reason we have been successful at Amazon. He has never, to my knowledge, ever said we win because of branding. Mm -hmm. If you look, Casey, at the trucks that are delivering your packages today from Amazon, they don't even have the name Amazon on the side of the truck. Right? Why not? Because it's not a branding game. Amazon's playing a customer obsession game. Okay? Well, what does that mean? It means they're all about the customer. And you know, a lot of companies will say, oh, we're we're really, you know, we're customer focused and customers, not Amazon. Amazon is customer obsessed. Their number one leadership principle on their website for Amazon employees, customer obsession. At the board meetings, Jeff Bezos would have a separate empty chair, literally an empty chair representing the customer, okay, at his board meetings. 80%, over 80% of Amazon's metrics are customer metrics. Okay, so delivery rates, accuracy rates, et cetera. It's it's all about making sure the customers are happy and pleased, right? And nobody does that better than Amazon. Nobody in the world, they have played their game. They have become the most valuable retail in the world, passing Walmart, Walmart's having to react to them. You know, Amazon comes out with Amazon Prime. Well, Amazon Prime, when it was brought out back in 2005, even Jeff Bezos', Bezos own, own employees and executives said to him, you know, this is this is going to be a money loser initially. You know, this doesn't look like such a great idea. He said, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to draw a moat around our best customers. He then proceeded to implement Amazon Prime, and they found that on average, an Amazon Prime member spent seven times as much as a non-Amazon Prime member. And we all know we're now, many of us locked into that system. Yeah. And, of course. And, and 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 what's happened is they have set the bar. Every other company has to deliver within one or two days or in some cases even hours that Amazon can deliver or you're like, oh, you know, they're not as good as Amazon. Right? You know, so you know, it's it's classic customer obsession. So they they and and what's interesting about it is not only does Jeff Bezos say it and feel it, but every single delivery person knows it's all about the customer it's all about customer obsession so it's alignment throughout the organization you will hear the people at Amazon when they talk internally it's all about customer obsession
0: so that's right. alignment yep so we've got the agenda we're communicating it yep is there is there a magical third step that sees it all yes come to the finish. execution
1: the execution execution right. So it's what I refer to as championing the agenda, championing the agenda. And I basically have developed four A's, okay, for championing the agenda. And this is very different than the four P's many people know about in traditional marketing, you know, price, place, promotion, product, et cetera. That's the old way to think. In the Transcender system, the best companies think in terms of the four A's, they are basically access, advantages, evangelicals and awareness. So access for these companies, it's no longer about price like we had before it's access. So for instance, a cup of coffee at Starbucks gives you so much more access than what you're paying for, right? You're, you're paying for just a cup of coffee, but at at Starbucks you get access to being at Starbucks for potentially hours. Whereas you don't get that, say at a typical Dunkin' Donuts or other coffee shop, right? You can't, they're
0: not pleasant. It's plastic. and You don't want to be there. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Okay. Then you have
1: advantages and to me, probably the best example of really having a lot of advantages because transcenders don't try to have two or three brand differentiating advantages. They try to have numerous advantages, right? So Elon Musk, the Tesla cars have numerous advantages. I literally call it the S I I think in terms of S's for all the plural all the pluralities of oh, advantages yeah. that Tesla has. So first it starts with savings, right? So Tesla's campaign agenda is transitioning to sustainable energy, okay? It's all about the transition to sustainable energy. So if you're inspired by that and you believe in that, which of course a lot of people do, right? And if they can afford, obviously a Tesla, then they often will buy those cars. Now, so the advantage they have, number one, they save, obviously they save the planet. Right. In terms of energy emissions, they save money. They're actually their cars, particularly some of their more uh, mass market cars, are actually cheaper than many other electric cars. They can offer insurance cheaper right now in California, and they're spreading it out because they know exactly what their insurance cost or maintenance cost is going to be for these cars. They also have a different sales model. They basically said you don't even have to go to the store, you can literally go online in less than five minutes, buy your car. Right, that was never done before. That was that was really again a major advantage they had. Safety, their 2018 Model S was considered the safest mass market car ever at that point in time. Okay, stations. So they have these obviously the stations, the charging stations around the country that they built. Right, then you have all these other S's, you know, and all these other advantages. The software, people feel like overnight they got a new car. So they have all these advantages. That's so different. They basically created a revolutionary product as opposed to an evolutionary product, okay? You know, you see the traditional car manufacturers, let's say for pickups, they'll say, you know what, our pickup this year has better towing capacity, (laughs) right? Right. Or it has a bigger bigger flatbed, okay? Well, that's not where Tesla's going. Tesla's like saying, we're totally redesigning the car. The whole concept... It's an experience. I don't know if you've driven a Tesla, but that yep. car it it doesn't need a road. It needs a runway. I mean, it's that yeah. fast, right? So that's another. Yeah, experience. you're looking for the next
0: straightaway so you can test that zero to zero to eighty and zero. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. In less than uh, two seconds at this point that they have. Yeah. Now. So it just so goes basically. right. Just decides oh, to go that fast. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, I've never felt G forces in a car like that. But anyway, so so that's again that's the uh, the advantages. And then I talked about the evangelicals. OK, you know, whether you hear somebody at Tesla talking about their car or Peloton or even people saying, I got to meet you at Starbucks, whatever. These are the evangelicals. They go way beyond the product advocates that we have in traditional branding world. And then awareness. Like any election, you have to have huge awareness. Right. We know what certainly Trump did in terms of owning the airwaves right? Um uh, Obama also at the DNC national convention when he first was the keynote speaker in 2004, he he had a huge awareness that night, etc. So there are companies that do that as well. I'd say one of the best uh, was probably Carrie Hammer Fashion. You might not have heard of that particular company. You know, you and I are going to be using or wearing her clothes. So right. Carrie Hammer is a entrepreneur, young entrepreneur who who basically is designing clothes for professional women. And she got the opportunity about three years after she opened her company in 2014 to show her clothes on the New York City Council Fashion Runway in New York City, which is the biggest fashion show in America, uh, highest profile show in America. And at that show, she was basically trying her clothes on the traditional models, right? Now, these models are much younger than her audience that she's really geared, gearing towards and they're much thinner and this and that. And she had an aha moment. She said, you know, I, this doesn't work for me. These traditional models, this traditional runway show doesn't work for me. I'm going to focus on role models. So her agenda became role models, not runway models. Five words, role models, not runway models. So what she did is she featured role models, female role models, everything from CEOs, female leading scientists, policymakers, but perhaps most notably, a woman, a psychotherapist named Danielle Pashok, who is a wheelchair-bound woman, Hmm. the first wheelchair-bound woman to model clothes on that particular runway. She also featured Jamie Brewer from the horror show, an actress who has Down syndrome. Six months later, she inspired a woman uh, from her first fashion show who contacted her, a woman named Karen Crespin. Karen Crespin had had a serious bacterial infection that caused her to lose all four of her limbs. She had all four limbs amputated. She had prostheses for all four limbs, so she was a quadruple amputee. She was also featured on the runway in Carrie Hammer clothes. you know, so... What what you see there is the awareness. It it, it basically generated over a billion impressions on the internet, a billion. Fox News called it the runway revolution. Um, It has become a big deal. It has changed how people think about fashion shows and runway shows, this idea of role models, not runway models, again, a five-word campaign agenda. And um, Carrie Hammer really has changed the paradigm. She was a game changer in regard to raising awareness and with her agenda. So, those are some of the different ways to execute on the agenda, specifically champion the agenda. Got it.
0: Got it. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot to this. Clearly, you're a brilliant guy. I, I'd love to sort of wrap this up in, in a bow here. I've obviously, there's a book that needs to be read here, and people seem to go get it, right? Um, because podcasts, we only scratch the surface on purpose, it's like purposeful torture. You gave me a little <laughs> bit, but, but one of the things I know you consult with people to help them create this. Uh, a lot of times we have existing brands that are just doing amazingly well and uh, devil's advocate. Are we, can we just ascribe things to their success that, I mean, was that what did it? And when maybe this ties into my question, like if you're working yeah. with a, one of the companies that's listening today, yeah, they, they don't feel very sexy. they are They haven't done anything on your list they've got an okay logo. What kind of recommendations do you make first to them? And how do you coach the mediocre brand and brand doesn't even matter. How do you coach the mediocre campaign, the mediocre company into being one of these superstars?
1: Yeah. So this is really, honestly, this is most of my clients come to me. They come to me saying, you know what, We, we feel like we have a comparable or even better product and we're losing, or they come to me and say, you know, we're always having to react to our competitor or we're frustrated, we're not meeting our budgets, all these kinds of things, right? And so I then explain to them about the Transcender system, and I tell them the steps we can take to move them from being a traditionalist branding company to a winning Transcender company, okay? Because it's very simple. If you just want to compete, then brand, you'll have plenty of competition. But if you want to win, then transcend, you use the Transcender system to rise above your competitors, force them to play your game. So I typically will offer any number of different types of workshops. The the simplest is a seminar, you know, so a seminar just to explain to them the Transcender system, Uh, that can be typically one or two hours. Um, I can also offer training workshops. So I train companies and their professionals on how to do this. And then we have also what I call business war games, okay, Transcender war games. And what we do is we role-player competitors then come back and role play ourselves using this approach coming up ultimately with our own campaign agenda, our own campaign platform. That's the second step communicating the agenda with a campaign platform, just like a presidential candidate and four at most five winning actions based on those four A's. Okay. So we basically do those war games to dramatically change the trajectory of a company. And you ask me, how do you know the difference? Well, I see it. I've seen it hundreds of times at this point where companies that go from being traditional companies to being trend companies they have what i call a transcendent takeoff you see a dramatic increase in their sales and their market share i've seen literally anything from smaller companies gaining millions of dollars to bigger fortune 100 companies gaining billions of dollars using this so i know it works i have had even trend companies come to me and i have worked with them to take them to a new level right because there's no perfect trend company and I've had the opportunity to work with so many different companies and have such a, quite frankly, a database of different ways to compete and win and so forth that I can help even the best of the best. And so it's, it's, very, um, it's very satisfying because I love to help my clients win. That's what I do. I do it with the TransCenter system. I think the book is a good first place to start for people um, if they wanna read about it and, and are interested in, in this approach. And then if they're interested in going beyond that with their company and getting their company aligned to become a Transcender, then they should contact my firm, Bernard Associates.
0: What's the first step? You, you're working a with thing. a client. What's the first, first step?
1: step? First step is creating the agenda. Creating the agenda. And I, I, I think I, I will say there's What's one. What's the first
0: step of creating the agenda?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there is the, I do need to prepare the clients. Okay. I have to change their mindset. Okay, so I do a little sort of shock therapy, Transcender Shock Therapy, which is I show them here are examples typically in their particular industry or analogs of their products. Here's what these other companies have done. And they see it through a different lens. Okay, it's a different frame of reference. I show them that they don't win with branding. They win with this political playbook, not a product playbook. And so they see two, three, four examples and then They all pretty much all go, I get it. The light bulb goes off. It's like people, I almost use the analogy of people saying, you know, they think the branding world is flat. I take them up to the space station and I show them the Transcender world is round. And once they see the Transcender system and the Transcender world, they can never go back to the brand world again. It's like you you basically realize, oh, the brand world is flat. There's so many other ways to compete. We can play our own game. So I do, that is really the first start is changing their minds, okay? And showing that through a number of examples. And then once they see it, then they're more open to saying, okay, let tell me how we can do that. Tell me how, whether I'm a CEO or I'm a professional, a manager, a salesperson, a marketing person, a supply chain, it doesn't matter because Transcender's, are throughout the company. Everybody has to be a transcender in the company. Everybody has to be aligned with the agenda, whether you're at Amazon, Starbucks or wherever. So therefore, everybody needs to be aligned. And by the end of a either one or two day workshop, we get people to that point. They will come up with a campaign agenda, typically five words or fewer. The campaign platform, it's one sheet of paper that everybody uses for communications the same communications over and over and over again very much like geico 15 minutes 15%, okay?
0: And then where the- do they find that? Where you you've shocked them. I feel like everyone listening is arbor- pleasantly shocked enough. We've you've beaten us down with all these examples and we're kind of like okay, we're we're in. But then yeah. it seems like there's a little bit of magic between now we need to create do you, do they look Do they look toward the features? So they look toward the pain of the customers? Where do you find that initial campaign message?
1: Yeah, the initial campaign agenda. Um, It is. There's some magic to that. And I have been doing this for many years now and helping clients get there. So I have the steps and I show them the process. But in the workshops, I really do take them to the promised land. You know, I have analogs, I have a certain idea typically, you know, I work very close with my clients, you know, they know their industry much better than I do, you know, but, you know, and I know the TransCenter system. So together, we work together to say, okay, what are some potential agendas? I work with them over a period of a few weeks typically, and then we'll have the workshop where we actually go through the process. And at the end of the workshop, either day one, day two, we come up with an agenda, but you're right, there is some magic to it. OK. Um, and um, and because not every agenda, you know, I've heard, believe me, I've heard thousands of agendas from, you know, clients and others. And, you know, they're they, they're five words or fewer, but they're not winning agendas. They're not ownable necessarily. They're not alignable. So there is this process we go through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Got, I'm, that's what I'm definitely feeling. I feel angsty yeah. because I don't quite have the ability yeah. to replicate what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: I understand. And um, it does help. I think the book definitely gives people a, a great start. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people that can, uh, you know, using the book, they can come up with a, a reasonable agenda. Um, others want to go much further um, at their company, or whether it's a CEO or some other senior executive that says, you know what, we, we need to do this. We need to have everybody on the same page. Everybody's aligned, saying the same thing, doing the same thing, inspiring people to believe in not just buy-in but believe in our products and what we're offering
0: right powerful stuff man you got some clearly you got some experience there so my next question really is who are you how how do you know all these things take me back in time to little stand days what was it like growing up did you always know you're going to be a doctor a lawyer a brander a brand killer (laughs) transcender all these things
1: (laughs) haven't been called a brand killer before that's that's a good one so uh You know, I'll tell you where it started. It started when I was really about six, seven years old, and I was a huge sports fan. Um, At the time, I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, and my college team, we didn't have a professional sports team, our college team was Vanderbilt. Okay, now Vanderbilt University was actually very good in basketball, very competitive, but in football, we were horrible. We were horrible, and every year, Alabama would come in and just crush us, you know. And the first, really, by the first quarter, who who, who did Alabama? Alabama, yeah. And at that time, their coach was the legendary Paul Bear Bryant, who was the most successful, the winningest coach in college football at that time, with six national titles. Okay, and and so I would say to my father every year, like, why do they? Why does you know Alabama always win and Vanderbilt always lose? Because I was fascinated with with how company how teams at that time how they win. Right. And why do they always win? Mm -hmm. And so he would explain to me, well, you know, actually, Paul Bear Bryant, the coach, has a system and it's based on player development, player recruitment, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you fast forward, you know, 30, 40 years later and his successor to Alabama, of course, is Nick Saban, who is the winningest coach in college football now with seven titles past Bear Bryant. And he has a winning system. So his winning system is called the process. Many people in college football know this. And again, it's based a lot on player identification, preparation, identification, recruitment, etc. And and he won using that system. And part of that system, he actually borrowed from Bill Belichick, who was the coach, his coach. actually, Absolutely. Go Pats. Yeah. And in the Pats, obviously, Belichick has had the most Super Bowl wins of any coach saving work for him in the 1990s as a Cleveland Browns assistant coach. So, so he borrowed it from that. And then I'd also seen, you know, money balls, a winning system in sports, in baseball and, and, you know, John Wooden had a winning system at UCLA, 10 titles, etc He had his pyramid of success. So, so I knew. from Sorry, league... real quick,
0: the Brown, the Browns had Belichick and Saban at one yeah. particular point. In time. Is yes. that why they're cursed to always be the <laughs> worst team in the league ever? I mean, yeah, are well, they, they still even in the NFL? I thought maybe they moved hey. to Canadian football. Like I don't even yeah, know what's know, going on.
1: It's amazing, right. That they would have those two coaches and weren't winning. um But yes, uh, Belichick was the coach uh Saban was basically a assistant coach working with Belichick yes. so yeah yes. and they still didn't win back then but they didn't they really didn't they did not have a quarterback that's for sure so yeah so ultimately as you see once Belichick got a quarterback it, you know he took off but uh anyway so so I knew there were winning systems growing up right in in sports so when I first got into business I I, I literally well I'll tell you what I did I was at the time I was planning to be a doctor my father was a surgeon I was gonna be a surgeon and uh I realized, you know what? I actually like this strategy stuff. So when I was in medical school in a third and fourth year med school, I started doing consulting on the side. Okay. I went to the first company I went to is Beacon's Van Lines. Beacon Vans Lines. It's, it's a moving company. And I said to him, you know, guys, I have a way. I think I can help you win in the Texas Medical Center, which is the biggest medical center in the world. uh, There's all these things I think you could do to really own this place. And because people are moving in and out all the time, you know, new doctors, new nurses, new, et cetera. And, uh, and they, they said, okay, you know, let's do it. So I I basically had this tiny little consulting project. That's where I started. My second client was actually Stanley Kaplan Educational Centers. I said, oh, you guys can own the medical center because all these Doctors and nurses and pharmacists, they all have to take these tests and you know boards and things like that, and I can help you win. And so I, I quickly realized I actually preferred strategy over surgery. Okay, mm-hmm. So I ended up finishing medical school. I took the boards. I got licensed. I'm a licensed general practitioner, didn't practice, and I went back to business school. So I went to the Wharton School of Business, and I found my true love, which is really sort of competitive strategy and strategic marketing. And uh, so that's that's where and then I went to work for Bristol Myers Squibb, which is absolutely a branding company. I mean, people know Bristol Myers Squibb it's both consumer products, pharmaceutical, medical devices, etc. cetera, lots of different brands. And when I first became a product manager there, uh, literally like the first or second day, one of my colleagues on the team you know, said, oh, we, we're going to have the advertising agency tell us our strategy. And I'm like, what do you mean they're going to tell us our strategy? I, I thought right. we're the product managers, you know, and, and they're like, no, 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 they'll, they'll come and do everything you know, they do. I'm like, well, why don't we come up with our own strategy? And why does it have to necessarily be based on branding? And I can tell you, I could have dropped a pin in the room, right? Hmm. The the two or three people around me are like, looked at me like, what do you mean? Don't you understand branding is the only way to compete? And that was my aha moment. That was my aha moment. Wow. Wow, guys, you were—you only believe there's one way to compete because I, I know in sports, you know, I've known since I was a little kid. There's lots of different ways to compete, you know. Yeah, all these different coaches have different playbooks, and they have different ways to win and compete, you know. And you're telling me that in business, there's only one way to compete. It gets back to this myth and this mythology that that's the only way to compete. And so that's when I I said, you know what? There's an opportunity here. Wow, I can help people win. And I'm going to develop a system, which ultimately was the TransCenter system. I'm going to develop a system based on the best of the best. I'm going to study the best of the best and come up with this system. And uh, so that's that's where we are today.
0: You know, you, you mentioned that, you know, in football, you're going for the win. You're going to do whatever you need to do. And and I think, you know, Belichick is a good example of that when you're just modifying what you got and and make it more than one person maybe it's this also reminds me of like a I don't know if it's a college football or a high school football coach who who never punts have you ever heard that that guy never yeah, punts
1: right right He's you like, know, so these, statistically these, right so these these are examples of really different playbooks yeah different ways different ways systems for winning right right so a, a very simple example in basketball you have sometimes you have fast court teams and you have half-court teams, right? Mm. And whoever can force their will on the other team usually wins. So if the fast-court team can make it a fast-court game, they'll win and vice versa, right? Well, that's exactly what happens in business. You force your competitor to play your game. Now, the advantage is Transcenders don't have a lot of competitors that play the Transcender game right now. So for the listeners, if you start playing a Transcender game and doing this approach using this Transcender system, you will have a tremendous, not competitive advantage, because that's too small. You will have a transcendent advantage. Now, there are cases where transcenders go against each other. Okay, so you have situations, and we all see it, where Apple is now competing against Amazon, which is competing against Google in a variety of different areas, right? They're all transcender companies. They all have their own agenda. They They all have their own ways of playing, their own systems for winning. And you see sometimes one wins, sometimes the other. It's a little like yeah. King Kong versus Godzilla, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but in most, in most spaces, in most competitive spaces, you can be the only transcender. And I can assure you, if you're playing a game only you can win, you will win. Yeah.
0: Man. <sighs> what an adventure. And you liked strategy over surgery. What a cool revelation to make, but it had to be kind of tough. You just spent how many years in medical school and, and then made that call. But hey, I, did you ever pull anything from the medical side into business?
1: I did. I did. Um, you know, it, it's it turned out it was a great thing. It, it was an opportunistic thing that I did to go to med school because med school taught me a number of things. One thing it taught me is don't make assumptions. You can't assume things in medicine. You assume things in medicine as a doctor and patients can get hurt Hmm. or even die, right? You can't make assumptions. So you challenge, you really challenge the thinking. So for instance, if a patient comes to me and they have a certain diagnosis, I can't assume that's necessarily the case. I have to make my own diagnosis. I have to do my own evaluation and come up with my own diagnosis and my own treatment plan. Well, that's what happened when I got into business. So I was quick to basically say to people, wait, you know, what do you mean branding is the only way to play? No, no, no let, Let's let's challenge that. You know, so I was trained to, first of all, be willing to, to challenge assumptions, right? And so that was one thing that was very helpful. The other thing that was medicine is very similar in terms of sort of the three steps. You sort of go through the evaluation, you know, you know, history, physical, all that. And then you go through your diagnosis stage and you go through your treatment. Well, really businesses do the same thing. I do the same thing with businesses, I go to businesses and I say, okay, what's the issue, right? I'm going to sort of figure out, do my history physical, so to speak, of a Mm -hmm. of a corporate client, whether it's a one-person startup or a top 100 fortune company. Um, Then I'm going to make a diagnosis. Okay, here's here's the situation. You know, here's what what's the problem or issue, and then I basically come up with my treatment plan, which is actions. So, I've been trained. very much to be action oriented, right? Yeah. But to take those actions based on a really, really in-depth analysis so that we make sure we're taking the right actions to win the same way I would do that or any doctor would do that with a patient. So it's been extremely helpful to me in terms of my sort of competitive
0: approach and transcender mindset. Yeah. And it gives you the most interesting, unique background ever, you know, where it's like interesting a doctor and an MBA and a, it, all these things together, uh, it's, it, but it, that multiple perspectives coming in. And I, I'm sure you right. are d- able to discern the difference between, you know, the company has is telling you their, their symptoms, you know, and, and, and right. the signs might point to something completely different, but then but something completely unrelated, you know, there's some sort of referring right. pain that's going on that is, you know, distracting everyone else. And you're like, you know, that might actually be down lower. actually sending some signals elsewhere. Right.
1: So this diagnostic, you know, being trained as a diagnostician, which all physicians are, was extremely helpful. Oh, yeah, I bet. And then, you know, that coupled with the orientation to get the right answer, And then to act on it. So, you know, and and I probably had a little more of a surgical personality. So surgeons like to, you know, okay, okay, we figured it out. Let's now, you know, let's do the surgery. Let's make sure we treat the patient there well, et cetera. So that helped. And I think the other thing that helped me a lot was I had a very cross-disciplinary, multifunctional, and cross-geographic training at Bristol-Myers Squibb. I actually had six jobs in six years. Hmm. Um, which is extremely unusual in, 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 the, in the pharmaceutical industry that I worked in. Um, but it gave me the perspective because I worked in marketing. I worked in the field. I worked in you know the clinical piece and medical piece. I worked in business development. I worked in the U.S. I worked at the us So it gave me a very broad perspective. So when I'm working with clients, I can talk to the marketing person. I can talk to the product design person. I can talk to the manufacturing person. I just had a lot of different experiences, um, which really also helps me better see the full
0: elephant, so to speak. Gotcha. Man. Uh, crazy. Stan, where where do people go? They want to connect with you. Throw some social platforms out at us, throw out websites, all the things. Sure. The book, Probably, everything yeah, you can get.
1: Simplest way to connect is go to brandsdontwin.com. Just go to the website, brandsdontwin.com. On the website, you can get more information about the book. You can take a quiz, a 10-question quiz. Are you a transcender or a traditionalist? You can download the first chapter, and you can also access purchasing the book, as well as getting contact with myself and my firm, Bernard Associates. So that's brandsdontwin.com. So um, again, if you, if you want to win, transcend love that.
0: Man, thank you so much for coming on here schooling us going through the intense three different steps with their substeps and their subroutines and the the systems and the organs and all the things that makes up all those different parts. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Casey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely. And for those out there listening, if you learn something, and I freaking know you did because my brain is on fire and I've got two pages of notes over here front and back, uh, share this with someone else. Be a thought leader by simply sharing some amazing, powerful, game-changing, game-transcending information with other people. Um, and that's how you really pass that message along. So again, man, Stan, I appreciate you being on here. It's a pleasure. All Thank right. You so much. Everybody, that is crazy. Let's go put water on our brains. Let's try to digest. Let's try to think about how we can use this information and uh, and crush it. And for those out there listening, this has been another episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.